Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the Polaris Greystone podcast. I am your host, John McNertney, and we are here to talk about the business of life and money. Today's episode features another conversation with Jeffrey Powell and yours truly. We are taking a look at the sell in May effect. What is it? Is there any value in it? If so, to what extent? We'll also take you through some of the other factors affecting us um, as investors. And as always, let us know if you have additional questions following the podcast. And don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and on Stitcher Radio, as well as reach out to us directly if you have further questions. Welcome back, Jeff. Um, Thanks again for coming back to our podcast. Um, Today, we're going to be taking a look at a very popular aphorism, another one of those, uh, I think, Mark Twain malpropisms, sell in May, go away. Um, We're also going to be looking at some other uh, key statements that I think have some absurdities in them. Um, I think you're familiar with them, yes? Oh, absolutely. So um, my favorite, I think, by far, is the January effect. Um, and like all of these, it's always right. Am I right? Or well, the thing that's kind of funny about this is, is we've got a lot of uh, cliche catchphrases in the financial industry that people love to sit there and use. January effects one, Santa Claus effect is another. The Solomon go away. I mean, these are all things that have some semblance of truth, not necessarily the best way of managing money. So how do you think that they came to be? Um, Is it just laziness on the part of us as individuals that we need to find some uh, overly simplified method for measuring the markets? I I think it's like anything else in life, John. I mean, people tend to sit there and try to use things that help them remember larger items. I mean, the, the January effect is essentially trying to say as January goes, so does the rest of the year. Uh, the problem with it is there's plenty of times that it doesn't work. So you're really looking at saying, okay, a positive January means that February through December is going to be positive as well. And really, yes, you might have momentum. And yes, you might sit there and see that be a positive thing. Is that necessarily mm-hmm. how you want to be managing your money? Right. And the Santa Claus is really looking at how uh, retail sales towards the end of the year have an impact on overall earnings. Mm-hmm. And again, uh, those overall earnings will hopefully have a positive impact on stock prices in the market. Mm-hmm. Is that how you want to manage money? Right. And then um, May. And then solo May go away is, is sort of a, a longstanding uh, that the markets have historically done dramatically better from November through April rather than May through October. So they're looking at six-month trends and saying, okay, well, the performance in the markets have really been found in, in a six-month time period in which, you know, if you sell all your portfolio in May and then revisit it back in November and only invest six months of the year, you're going to do better than those other months. Well, here's the reality. You know, you can't manage money that way. And and the reality of it is there are plenty of times. I mean, we've, we've pulled together some statistics that we kind of hope that you'll find interesting out mm-hmm. there. Yep, I see um, you bringing out the hard numbers. Yeah, exactly. So what I did was I actually pulled the actual uh, statistics themselves and looked at uh, what's gone on over the last 50 years of May through October versus November through April. And the numbers are astounding when you look at the overall performance. The, the, you can't get around that. That being said, 65% of the time, May through October is positive, you know, as compared to the November through April, which is about 75% of the time. So you're really not talking about that big of a difference. You're talking about 12 times that you've had negative markets uh, in November through April versus 17. So five years mm-hmm. out of 50 difference between it. So there's definitely, uh, there's, 
there's reason to be an investor from May to October. So it would be fair to say that more than half the time you, you are making money under almost all circumstances, correct? Well, and if you look at the historical data points on an annual basis, it's about a three to one ratio of up years to down years. Right, and so um, I guess my point is, is you can't uh, say with truth that there is a period of time during any given year over history where you're more likely to, uh, to, to lose than win. Yeah, I mean, uh, if you're a long-term investor, uh, being along the stock market has been a very good thing, especially during secular bull markets. During secular bear markets, you basically roller coaster your way through, and you plop out the other ends, no better or no worse than you were to begin with, but you haven't made money. And those uh -huh. uh, those time periods typically last, on average, 13 years. Uh -huh. so, so you're losing buying power over time, is essentially by doing that. So we are in a secular uh, bull market at the moment, if Correct. I'm hearing you, and uh, remind me again: secular bear versus secular bull. Well, bulls um, are good and bears are bad. Secular uh, is not meant to be a religious context, although the last secular bear market definitely had some uh, uh, issues involved with that. Some oh my god moments, <laughs> but uh, uh, really, what we're talking about is long term. So these longer term trends in the market, and then you have cycles within it. You have mm -hmm. bull cycles and bear cycles within a secular bull or a secular bear. And okay. that means uh, if you look at, for example, our last secular bear market was from 2000 to 2013. You had bear cycles. So 2000 to 2002 were the bear cycle in the March of 2003. And then you had from 2000, you know, March of 2003 until October of 2007, that were, uh, it was a bull cycle inside of a secular bear market. Okay. We then had again, our negative cycle from October uh, of 2007 through March of 2009. And we've been in a bull cycle ever since. Okay, so we're in a secular bull market. So now to head back into it, um, again, into the absolute numbers, because I see you've really only touched on a little bit of what you have in front of you. Um, if you could give us some um, some truth and statistics here, uh, some other items to refute the sell in May. So we have uh, lies, damn lies, and statistics, right? So uh, <laughs> right. Well, let's just go through the actual numbers. So if you're looking at uh, the S&P 500, and you're looking at performance of May through October, and November through April, uh, if you had a million dollar portfolio going all the way back to 1968, your million dollars only turned into a million five if you were investing only in the six months that were May 1st through October 31st. If you then took another account and put a million dollars into that and only invested from November 1st to April 30th, that grew to $18 million. Mm -hmm. So yes, the numbers are true in the sense that there is a lot more performance there that being said, let's just kind of turn the tables for a moment. The last five years in the stock market, 80% of the time, so four of the last five years, May through October has outperformed November through April. Mm -hmm. In fact, if you look at just the last year, so had you decided that you wanted to go on a six-month vacation and just not invest from May 1st to October 31st of 2017, you lost out on an 8% return. Mm-hmm. There's too much opportunity that's there. And really what it kind of boils into, and it kind of dovetails directly into how Polaris Greystone manages money. Mm -hmm. You want to be tactical about this. I mean, we were talking about secular bulls and secular bears. We can also talk about recessions. We right. can talk about when statistically the odds are in your favor of making money and when it's not. And so we believe in being invested as long as the odds are in our favor. And we're not going to sit there and look at a calendar and say, today is May 1st. Time to you know shutter up the uh, the office and uh, we're going on vacation for the next six months because it's just not a, a truly viable way of managing money. Well, and, and I think to back up to a few uh, 
previous statements that you just made, even if you were so inclined, if you actually believed that that were possible, it, it wouldn't be beneficial to you. In point of fact, it would actually be detrimental to the health of your portfolio since, I mean, come on, more than half the time, you're actually, uh, you're positive, even during those, yeah. those less favored periods of time. Oh, and what, it, what you're really looking at, and again, is how do you mitigate downside risk? Mm-hmm. So again, one of the things if you're looking at having 75% of the time, the November through April making money and only having 65% of it from May through October, that's not a large enough number to really throw off those numbers to be 1.5 million versus 18 million over a 50 year time period. Right. What you're really talking about is you've seen the greater downside. October, obviously, we've had a couple of really bad Octobers in, in, in the last 50 years. If you look back to 2008, that was the worst of the months was in October. Mm-hmm. If you look at having uh, October 19th, 1987 into the mix, you've got some outliers out there that are definitely uh, impacting these statistics. But really what we're talking about is how do you mitigate downside risk? And if you're able to mitigate that downside risk, and, and mitigate has a definition that truly means that you can eliminate it. And that's not what we're trying to say. We're not we're not here to sit there and try to claim that we can eliminate mm-hmm. risk. What we're trying no. to do is to lower risk. And if you're really talking about being able to be in a position where you're lowering the risk, you're lowering the downside of your portfolio, you should be in it. And you should be looking at being an investor at all times. Because as you said, 65% of the time you're still making money, there's still a growth pattern involved with it. And even though it may be less than the november through april you're still making money okay okay so 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 i'm with you i'm getting the point but just you know if you can go with me here for just one second i'm going to be a devil's advocate again um for the other side of this let's let's say um that i have a 50 50 record with uh with figuring out where the market is going to go uh during this time might there not be um some other issues um i think with selling away in may even if you were to time it right i mean there's tax implications Right. No I, mean, question I think of capturing gains every year um, and you think about the long term impact of that on your portfolio. I mean, there, there's any number of reasons why it gets really absurd. Well, again, what about the uh, the humanality of it? I mean, if you're talking about the humanality of of investing, uh, let's just just use the last 12 months as our example. Mm-hmm. You've decided to leave your money sitting in cash. Let's just say it's an IRA, so there's no tax implications whatsoever. Okay. You just missed out on an 8% return. Right. And then you invested solely when there was a 2% return. Right. I mean, are you not going to feel like an idiot having missed out on having a 10% return versus only a 2% return. Right. And then then you decide, okay, well, last year since May was great, maybe this year I'm just going to ignore the sell of May and go away and I'm going to actually invest in it now. Well, so yeah. there's too much complication with, with the emotions of investing. There's too many other statistics out there that, that prove this to not be correct. Again, what we really want to be looking at is how we can clinically look at the market, look at things like broader economics. Do the broader economics state that we should be fully invested or not fully invested? If we look like we're going into a recession, which again, we've gone through some of the, the things that we look at, things like mm-hmm. the Chicago Fed, for example, which went negative in December of 2007, which showed us that we were in a recession by January of 2008. Mm-hmm. Well, if I'm in this recession and come January, I'm going to start to lower my exposure to the stock market at that point. I don't right. care if it's January February, March, April, May, the, the actual calendar date doesn't matter to me. Yeah. 
We look at tape composite movements, meaning the price movement, the health of the overall marketplace. We look at sector specifics. We're looking at the fundamentals of companies. Those do not have calendars to them. Right. Okay, so we want to be looking at things and obviously understand you know, the different implications that are out there. We, we did a whole piece on how election years, for example, tend to be the hardest year of the four-year cycle of a president mm-hmm. being in office. But that doesn't mean, again, that you say, okay, well, let's take this year off. Okay. It's just not how it works. Okay. So what you're saying is, is these rules of thumb, throw them out. Uh, to a large extent that these are just rather silly to, to even seriously consider. But there's other things, um, as you're pointing out. And so as we kind of back out, I think we're going to be, um, you know, a few more minutes here. What what does occur to you to be very valuable information uh, this year? If, if I'm not looking to just sell in May, as you say, what am I looking for? What are some key metrics for the back half of 2018 as we approach it? Well, one of the things that I would really encourage people to be looking at is, is things that we've already actually talked about in previous podcasts. Look about what's going on right now. Okay, we have had record earnings in this last quarter. So far, this quarter, we've had a little bit north of 50% of the S&P 500 report earnings already. Mm-hmm. 80% of them have not only reported record earnings, but they've exceeded analyst expectations on top of it. You've had an 80% earnings beat. Wow. On, on the first yeah. half of what's gone on so far, it's been pretty incredible. Our year-over-year actual growth in earnings is over 23% right now. Those are huge numbers. Mm-hmm. We have record corporate cash. We have record margins. We have a strong economy, but mm-hmm. not a economy that is showing inflationary pressures. Right. We have inflation that's in check. We have all the right things in the right places. We've got we got those GDP numbers that just came in. GDP Close numbers to the 3% that uh, the president was looking for, right? That's exactly right. And we have mm-hmm. a stimulus package in place in the way of tax uh, cuts that are across the board. For most Americans, you have it also across the board for corporations. Mm-hmm. And again, with record corporate cash, what you're really looking at is most likely having huge stock buybacks and huge rewards to investors in the way of dividends. So mm-hmm. there are so many positive things going on. The, the biggest trouble with the market as we speak right now are really headline headwinds is what I've been referring to. Headline headwinds. You're talking about sentiment? Uh sentiment driven market so i mean obviously we've got things like talking about trade wars uh, obviously uh, netanyahu coming out over the weekend and saying oh by the way we have proof that iran is actually still trying to make nuclear weapons mm-hmm. and we should be really looking at this differently well that might change the deal that we have with iran where we've got almost all of europe trying to encourage us to just rubber stamp the agreement that we have with Iran, mm-hmm. no more, uh, you know, just move on to the next item. Right. So there are several things out there between, obviously, Russia. Uh, we've got North Korea that's looking like it's beginning to, to mitigate uh, as a risk. We've got trade wars, you know, pending with China. Lots of things that the media really wants to, you know, stir the pot and make <laughs> seem like are much greater than they really are. Where we've got hard fact numbers sitting right here in front of us that would indicate very different things going on. You know what all those things make me think? I, I can I can literally feel my my brain just shutting down right now. I, 
I think we just answered the question of why people go for the uh, the quick and easy aphorism. Right? <laughs> There's no question about it. I would it. rather not think about nuclear whack-a-mole, but I could just think about selling my portfolio and going fishing. Well, it certainly makes you want to become a, an ostrich, right, at the very yeah. least, and to sit there and bury your head and ignore all the things that are going on around you. And and truly, when you when you take a clinical approach to how you manage money, if you get away from the static that's going on every single day in the media, and again, we've gone mm-hmm. into it. There is reason for the media. There are very positive things about the media, and there are some very negative things about the media. Mm-hmm. And the yeah. way that the media makes their money is to get you to sit there and watch their program or read their article. Uh, and the best way of doing that is to sensationalize it. Mm, if it bleeds, it leads. Exactly. So, I mean, those are really the, probably the, the biggest thing that's working against the market right now as we speak is headline headwinds. And so, again, if you can get past what people think might happen, Mm-hmm. And look at what's actually truly going on. Record, I mean, we've, we're dealing with wage increases and people think that's an issue because that might be inflationary. No, wage increases actually means that the American public has more money and that means that they can spend more. You know, when you're sitting on a 4.1% unemployment rate, having wage increases is not something that should come as a huge shocker. Yeah, well, you know I love behavioral uh, economics, and it does call to mind the kind of the classic problem with behavioral economics is, which is you, you look into these statistics and you see your own personal bias. So you can look at the wage increase, and it's astonishing to me, you can become a pessimist from the stance that it's going to drive up inflation, right? But as a classic kind of Keynesian economic uh, person, you're seeing more money coming in this should be a positive sign going forward, right? Well, 70% of our economy is driven by personal consumption. Right. So not to sit there and back my way into your answer, but absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, again, it would be one thing if we had inflation that was sitting in the 5 6 7% range. We've got mm-hmm. a core inflation sitting at 2 Yeah. So if we start to see inflation of some kind, and let's say that it goes up to 25 or 3%, mm-hmm. You know, the historical number for inflation in this country from 1970 through 2016 is 3.5%. Think about that for a minute. That is a much larger number than we're talking about now, yet all of the media wants to sit there and and do is make this into a, the Fed's going to raise rates, it's going to be negative, blah, blah, blah. Right. Well, again, we're dealing with unprecedented time periods. They're not Mm -hmm. raising rates to combat inflation. Mm -hmm. They're raising rates as they can based upon economic data points to reset Fed funds rates. This mm-hmm. is not a, I'm combating inflation. Yeah. This is, I'm resetting a, a very valuable tool that has been used over the last 70 years to sit there and stimulate the economy yeah. when necessary. You know, it's interesting, you look back over time, if anyone's listening to this out there, um, this is a fun trivia question of what the long-term rates on money markets have been, um, and you compare them with what's available to you today, which is almost nothing. What is it, about 4%? 4.5% uh, yeah. from 70 to, <laughs> 70 to present. So, again, it's something that you obviously can't get in today's markets. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty amazing when you yeah. think about it. And then people get... It would fly off the shelf. It would fly off the shelf. But, I mean, the, the reality, again, is if we're talking about having inflation at 3.5% historically when you get a 4.5% money market, mm-hmm. is it really that much better than what you're getting right now? Yeah, I mean, you're no. basically getting no... you got to look at real returns. Uh, not only real returns, but after-tax real returns. Right. I mean, so uh-huh. after you've taken a third to a half of that off the table and then you take inflation, you've got a negative return. Yeah. So are you really getting that much out of it? Interesting. Well, we could talk forever. Um, any any uh, last notes, though, I think, before we uh, before we close out? 
Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing is never to dismiss some of these cliches. I mean, there, there's validity to it uh, in the context that you've definitely had stronger returns in the markets during different time periods. There are certain sectors that do better during different time periods. You know, it's easy to remember you know, a Santa Claus effect or January effect or some right. may go away. These, these roll off the tongue and there are ways of being able to remember certain things, but they're really there to be used as a limited tool Sure. So how you want to be looking at it, not a means of how to manage money. Okay, so be thoughtful, engage with the information. Don't be afraid to be wrong sometimes. I got gotcha. you. Exactly. All right. All right, thanks, Jeff. My pleasure. All right, take care. Polaris Greystone Financial Group LLC is a federally registered investment advisor. The information, statements, and opinions expressed in this material are provided for general information only and are subject to change without notice. This material does not take into account your particular investment objectives, financial situation, or needs, is not intended as a recommendation to purchase or sell any security, and is not intended as individual or specific advice. It should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. Polaris Greystone does not offer legal or tax advice. All information contained herein is believed to be accurate, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective to clients where Polaris Greystone Financial Group, LLC, and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. Past performance is no guarantee of future returns. Diversification does not assure a profit or protect against loss. Investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. No advice may be rendered by Polaris Greystone Financial Group, LLC, unless a client service agreement is in place.